Ready, set, go. All right, once again, back in the can for another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void. Got somebody in the can with me. No uh, no remote control, no internet. Cheers. Cheers, brother. And who the fuck are you and what do you do? Uh, I'm Ryan Graney. Oh, shit. Some people just flinched. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. I'm, and I originally came here because Micah Couch and the Wingsuit team adopted me. Yeah, yeah. Um, I met Micah in 2014, base jumping. He had like 30 base jumps, obviously an ex- exemplary skydiver. Mm. But I was always a base jumper that didn't skydive very much, and we hit it off and saw him packing a base rig like he was pro-packing his sports rig <laughs> in a car park at 6 a.m. And I was like, I saw it was so terrible, I just kicked it over. Uh, oh, and I was no. like, dude, nah, bro, you've, uh, you're one of those can do everything, so everyone assumes you're amazing. Mm. And uh, so we started base jumping together, and then as stuff progressed, um, he was like, if we're going to continue, you need to train. And primarily, I've made my money over the years being in oil and gas inspection programs. Okay. And he was like, you need to skydive more. I'll get a budget from the wingsuit team, and we'll bring you here, and I was going to be their driver. I was going to be the new Sarge. Ah, nice, nice. Of the wingsuit team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I got here, and... um, I got a job doing what I normally do, but the job was I only had to work between 6 a.m. and 10 a.m., and the drop zone doesn't open till 11, <laughs> so I could do everything when I got here, and it was a pretty cool way to come and sort of change my life, and now I'm just doing tandems and sure. working on my CPL pilot's license. And nice. Now, how'd you get started in the sport? I mean, where, where was the first uh, jump, or, or was there anything extreme that led you to jumping off a of shit and, and out of airplanes? Yeah, I was um, a climbing instructor when I was young, okay. up until about 24, and I went to Yosemite. Mm. Did two seasons there, and I saw a couple guys base jump, like pre-YouTube, so you couldn't go look it up. Right. I saw guys jump off cliff when I was on the cliff and was nice. like, wow, they had two 180s and I was like, I'm hanging like 500 meters off a cliff. I watched <laughs> two guys have massive off headings and just face me on the cliff and I was like, what is that? And my friend was like, it's called base jumping. Like, it's a way people get down off mountains when <laughs> they, and I was like, I hate walking down. Like, I love climbing up. I ha- like, I'm, I got like shit knees and hips and stuff. Sure. I don't want to walk down with a heavy pack. Right. And I was like can we just go do that? He's like, no, <laughs> no, we can't. You need to go skydiving. It took me about five years to um, have enough money because mm. I, was I was a dirt bag at that point. Mm. So it took about five years to um, have enough money. So 2009, I called a drop zone in my hometown. I met um, Wildman, who's uh, a- Adrian Thuma. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I met, met him on an oil rig. Oh, wow. In 2009, I was like, I'm thinking about doing this base jump and stuff. I hear that you're like a big deal. <laughs> Um, I've got, uh, I want to go do a thing. He's like, go home to Australia and go do your AFF. Right. And I was like, who do I call? And he's like, call this guy at your home drop zone. And right. then I called the guy up and I'm like, do you have an AF course? He's like, no. I'm like, I was working offshore, so I had money. I'm like, no, nah, I got two weeks off and like money. Do you have an AF course? He's like, oh, hang on. You've got money. Like <laughs> we can suddenly like, at our little Cessna drop zone run an AF course. So I rocked up, did my AF in a weekend. Nice. Smashed our 88 skydives and then I, uh, I called, uh, I was in Thailand for my B license okay. and I met uh, a guy called Johnny Guru who is from Hawaii originally, got like 10,000 jumps, demo jumper, master rigger, all that. Mm. And I was like, can you teach me to, to base jump? And he's like, sure. <laughs> um, are you ready? And I was like, fucking yes, I'm ready. 
And he's like, oh, that's all I needed here. Like, if you, like, believe, right. it's 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 there. And uh. I was like, I'll pay you to come from Hawaii, and I'll pay for your accommodation and give you a free holiday, which was cheaper than me doing a course. Sure. And you can teach me how to base jump. So I went to Perrine and did 20 jumps with him. And then that was it. Wow. And then after that, I was like, it scared me enough. That I was like, okay, I need to scout up a bit more. Right. So I did like sort of like up to 200 or whatever. Right. And then all of a sudden, I had like 300 base jumps and 200 skydives or something. So <laughs> it was, I definitely approached it the wrong way, but this is like early 2000s, so it's the end of the the silly era. Sure, sure. Now it's a lot more structured. People approach it differently. For yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I had a, um, I was working at Skydance in Davis for uh, quite a few years for Ray Farrell out there, uh, both as a pilot and starting out as a tandem instructor and AFF instructor. And uh, we had a bunch of guys come out of Yosemite, a guy by the name of Nick Martinez and Ammon McNeely. Other two of my good friends. Yeah. I climb with Nick and, and Ammon. All right. And so I, I love Nick and Ammon and Evo. Um, yeah, it, well, Evo is the guy who adopted me in Yosemite. So how amazing is this? So... I was their AFF instructor. Well, yeah, Evo took me. He he saw me in the campground. And I was just doing. I never because you, you don't really have information back then, right? So when I got there, I'd never seen magazines or anyone that had done anything crazy, right. and I just assumed these were just normal people. Mm. I didn't realize that the level no. they were at. Yeah, they're not normal. And he was like, "You're fun and kind of crazy. Do you want to come and be like the support guy on right. our big wall attempt?" So Evo took me up there and. Um, yeah, I, I got took on my first thing, and I come back the next season, and they wow. kind of got me. This is before any of us were jumping, right? Before most people were jumping back sure, then, sure. Um, and yeah, no, Evo is one of my. He, you know, it's funny because uh, the next time you talk to Evo, just walk up to him and just uh, uh, get really intense and say, "Relax," and then give him a big hug and say, "Dean know. said hello." Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah it was funny because he's such an intense guy. Yeah. Um, which is very contrary to what I would assume someone at his level at climbing would be because he's super just energetic and he's full on yeah. you know and so we're getting into skydiving and he's super hard to calm down i couldn't get him to just chill yeah dude super yeah. you know and and i'd tell him we we talk about the skydive because he was having trouble getting through a couple of uh, levels and, and we'd start talking about the skydive and i'd be like look the key word for you on this skydive is just to relax just relax. chill just relax chill, and, buddy. and he would go okay i'm going to relax and i'm like no that's you're that's bulgarian <laughs> and it's just that i think that's bulgarian relaxed yeah, but yeah, yeah. it's intense yeah i'm like dude that is so 100 percent not what i meant yeah. you know and of course they got through the course and everything and and uh it was ammon um uh nick martinez evo and one or two other guys all came out and they said they were climbers from Yosemite. We didn't know, of course, that they were like fucking the climbers. Yeah. Uh, Ammon having set world records up El Cap and, and uh, Nick Martinez having done a solo up El Cap that was like 20 or 25 days. Something, yeah, yeah, he, something obscene like that. He came down like I, I was there. He ran, he ran out of water and he went missing for a while. And we were all watching him and like, oh, is he going to be all right? Because right. like, he had, when he did that first one, he didn't really have a lot of experience. Sure. And that was like just, he went full commitment. Like the Brazilian style. Right. Yeah. The yeah. Brazos go pretty hard. Oh, yeah. And he come down and we had a slideshow, which probably is, um, was the start of the Real Rock group. Okay. Collect, right. uh, the uh, Camp 4 Collective. Okay. With um, Renan and stuff. That, that that was the group of the original outdoor content started coming out from those guys. Okay. And like early days, I'm not talking digital cameras. I'm talking 2004 or five, where we're like right. we're Sony high eight, yeah, like these things that you like big camcorder kind of right. things. We we're on the start of digital, but like it still was a big box. Still here. bricks, yeah, yeah. And we went and did a bunch of stuff, and 
he came down and he just made it down for the last and like you could see how emaciated he was. And, he's like, <laughs> and Nick's a thin guy anyway. Yeah, and like he'd had like three or four beers and like I met this guy the first thing and I was like I I was obviously I'd just done a five day wall event and I was right. like Nick how did he survive and like drunk as shit he was like everything you need is inside of you bro <laughs> it's already in you you just if you know it's inside you you, you can keep going and I'm like dude you just spent the last four days without water yep <laughs> yep I, I don't care how much you've got inside you like what you just did is like epic oh yeah and um but he didn't even know none of us did back then no we didn't know what because you couldn't watch YouTube videos yeah you didn't know what the standard was, so the people were just pushing themselves as far as they could go. Right, yeah. And he, yeah. Oh, well, and it, it fit their personality when they all came out, and they're like, yeah, we're big-time climbers, and we want to learn how to, to skydive so we can jump off the shit we climb. Yeah. You know, and of course, we're, you know, you've been a skydiver for a long time now, so you've heard it all at some point. You're like, okay, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Sure, you bet. You guys are climbers. You want to jump off the shit. And then the next thing you know, a little bit of research, and you find out, oh, they actually are like somebody, and then you're they're your friends now, and they're posting pictures, and you're watching them flicking all this crazy shit, and you know, Am and the pirate, and yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, epic stuff, yeah. yeah. And I think the reason why those guys didn't go as far in base jumping as they would have liked is because that they didn't concentrate on skydiving. I think that's now the new way. Like if you look at all of the people that have come through and gotten good, and all it's, even the people that I've I've taught um, have like progressed so much faster as the ones that the sure. skydives the, the strong base jumpers are the ones that train and that took me a long time to learn and um it's a different game now for sure. well so now you so you started out so full on when it came to base jumping which is for a lot of people a fucking recipe for disaster i mean it is just begging for something to go wrong because you don't have the 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 skills that you need canopy wise and all that stuff aren't second nature yet I mean, you must have had some serious close calls. Uh, first season. So I did the Perine trip, and then a year later I went, I was on an oil rig, I met a guy called Josh Capel, <laughs> now one of my best friends, and he was like, I'm going to Switzerland next week. We were on, like, oil and gas money, so we had sure. ridiculous cash. I'm like, I met this guy in a, in a crib room, and he's like, I'm going to Switzerland, like, we had two weeks on, two weeks off. Right. So I'm going to Switzerland next week. And then we're going to do two weeks' work, and we're going to go to KO next thing. And you have to have, like, a couple hundred jumps to go to KO at that point. Sure. But, but I, like, lied, got a reference, you know. <laughs> so I, I, I met this guy, and then one day we just booked tickets to Switzerland, and then the following trip to KO. Jesus. But on the first Switzerland trip, I, I it was, like, late September, and there's snow and ice and shit. And I, I had a wall strike and oh. broke, broke my arm and got helicopter rescued. First season. First, like, 36 jumps, dude. Like, totally went, like, the climber route. Like, I'm totally got this, but no understanding of what we're even doing. Sure. We abseiled down to an exit, waited there, and then got clouded out. So we're sitting in, like, rain and sleet for, like, an hour, and then, like, obviously building up nerves, and then right. I had a shit exit and did the old pancake chip fucking <laughs> down and... I had line twists and a whole bunch of shit and just basically was biting off more than I can chew. And I hit the wall, landed on top of a ledge about 100 meters off the ground. And I was like, shit, like maybe I can climb down. I'm a climber, you know. Went to take my helmet off and my like arm just fell. I'd, bro I'd broken my ulna. Oh. And um, I was like, shit, I'm, I'm up shit creek here. Right. And uh, so then I called my, fr I tried to, like it was, this is where the start of, 
smartphones. Thank fuck. So the first Nokia smartphone. No, not thank fuck. The normal one you could dial. This thing is covered in, in blood and water. I'm trying to swipe the thing, but the swipe isn't very good because it's the first screen. You sure. Know, the screens are shit. Right. So I finally got a call through to this Croatian girl that I've been sleeping with who didn't speak very much English. And uh, so I call her and she's like, oh, you want coffee with me? And I'm like, well, I'd love a coffee with you, babe, but I'm currently stuck up on Steckelberg Wall and I could really do with a helicopter rescue. You're the only one. And she's like, didn't understand shit, so I hung up on her. I finally got through to Farrell, called Farrell, and I'm like, hey, bro, like, I'm, I'm on Steckelberg Wall. I'm, stuck, I'm sitting in a bush. Whoa, I really could do a thing. So that he's like, cool, I'm going to send our friend Curly down in my car and I'm going to get the helicopter. And I can see everyone driving down the road and she's looking up on the wall and she crashed the car like 500 meters before she got me. She's looking up so much she just drove into a ditch and I'm like, that's my rescue. I'm like, oh, I'm <laughs> fucked here. So um, I learned a pretty solid lesson on that first one. I took about a year off after that and then went and skydived more, but I still only had probably like three or 400 jumps. Mm. And then I got through the next few years, but I was still at maybe like, we say 400 skydives and 200 base jumps or something. All right. And then I met Micah in a, in um, Chirag, and we were doing the first heli boogie in 2014. Okay. Him and Ellis are just hucking oh, free fly jumps off there in hell. slick, and they got like Jarrett's pro pack and everyone's rigs like going right. to wheelchairs done more jumps than everyone and packed everyone like because we had shady jason christensen yeah michael all these guys none of them really knew how to pack base rigs so Jarrett right. is just packing three or four rigs per load <laughs> still out jumping people he's getting in the helicopter we're carrying his wheelchair to the exit well those are some of my favorite pictures ever yeah yeah like Jarrett's one of the most hardcore people i've ever met oh yeah um so yeah that sort of happened and then the next season, me and Micah just hit it off really good and we started to do things and like I'm a reasonably athletic person so I could keep up. I was like kind of tracking like, because I didn't learn how to track out of a plane. Mm. I learned how to track your suit and like to track a two-piece tracking suit is actually not about being able to fly your body. It's about being able to fly the suit. The suit, yeah. So yeah. I already had that dialed. So all these guys who are like way better than me didn't know how to track the suit. So I'm like... I'm there and we're doing like linked hand, me and Micah just did like 60 handheld jumps. We're just oh, wow. holding hands off the exit because he's like, when you do skydiving, you separate, like how do you stay close in base jumping? I'm like, at that point, no one flew together. You do two <laughs> ways and you just separate straight off sure. exit. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, no, in skydiving, you, you're at the plane and you don't want to separate. You hold hands, you link. So Micah's like, let's link. And I'm just like standing on the shit and we're doing like weird exits and we got to a point where I went over about a year that he was like, well, if we're going to keep doing these crazy head down exits and stuff, you don't actually know how to fly head down. You're just getting it done because you're like kind of understand body sure, movement. Sure, And he's like, you need to come train. So we did a full season with the, and that's just when he joined the wingsuit team. He quit, right. quit McToom. Yep. And then, so I'm hanging out with Micah and uh, Noah and Julian and Greg. And at the end of the season, we got to the point and I was standing in Voss and Micah was like, should we tell him? And I was like, yeah, just tell him now. And they're like, we're keeping you. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, you need to come to Dubai in September. The wingsuit team has a budget. This is still in the glory days. Right. We're going to pay you to be the driver. And basically what we're going to do is you can train outside of our jumps and we'll look after you. And so I moved into Noah's house. Okay. And me and Julian Bull shared an L-shaped couch. <laughs> For about mm, six months, and then me, Julian, Jason Christian, and Ramsey Hamadi 
got a big villa in Albasha. Mm. And as I arrived here, I realized I don't want to just be like, I'm a professional person. I don't just want to be the driver of the wingsuit team. Sure. I've got a bit more going on than that. Sure. And like when you manifest something in the world, right, it comes to get you. So as <laughs> right. soon as I arrived here, I got offered a job and I ended up being the inspection and maintenance coordinator for the whole of Ski Dubai. And I ran, oh, wow. I ran the refurbish of um, the whole Mall of Emirates. How did that happen? Manifestation, bro. Like I, deci- like I decided to come and then all of a sudden the world was like, okay, he's going to Dubai. And like without any input, because I have like, because I've been working in many countries. I had a company in the UK at that point. Okay. I was doing offshore work in Australia and I was just contracting and like, it's all like three or four week, maybe multiple trips, but like short contracts, three, sure. three to five months. Can you come and do this at this oil rig? Mm. And I get a call from one of my offshore mates and he's like, can you come to Dubai? And I'm like, no shit, I'm going there in three days. <laughs> and he's like, well, dude, we got this contract and these Arabs will pay us mm. to do like very little but like just manage this crew. And I was like, I'm going to be working at the drop zone. I've got to jump from like 11 to five. Like I'm going to be hanging out with Micah. And he's like, okay, we'll pay you, but you only have to be there from 4am until 10am. <laughs> so you do like your full day's work, but they didn't want us working during the day at Mall of Emirates. Right. Because the noise that we're like right above, you know, Apres Ski, we're right above sure. that area. Yeah. So you know how the Mall of Emirates has the ski Dubai? It's basically like a big freezer. Yeah. That continues. It's like a rectangle. There's an exoskeleton around that. And then there's the fiberglass that you see mm. there. So we were doing all of the inspection on the, the metal fabrication. Okay. All, all right. through the whole thing. All right. So... Turns out they had a, an expectation. I asked the client at the start, like, how, sure. how much do you want done per day? And I was like, as soon as they told me, I'm like, oh, I can do 10 times that without even any, any staff. <laughs> right. So, like, I was like, I'll do twice as what you expect in a quarter of the time. Mm. And then I could go to the drop zone. Nice. So, it just worked out really well. and. Getting, nice. Paid lots of money and got to hang out with the guys. And So now, again, you, you said you were a climbing instructor young. So yeah. How young do you get started with that? 16. I was going to leave school on year 12. I had a few problems at the end of school. A friend got in a car accident. I was like over it. My parents took me to a really nice private school. I'm, I got a bit of like the ADHD and all that sort of gear. Sure, so sure. I didn't really fit into the normal private school environment. So I was going to quit. And then they were like, no, you can create your own subject. Mm. And you can go work at this climbing um, sort of outdoor ed company. Sure. You can work every Friday during year 12, get paid for it, do four days at school. And the fifth subject can be like a um, a business studies kind of thing. And you can write your own assignments based on what you do. So I became a climbing guide at like 17 years old. Wow. And then there was no information on what was... a you know, a normal way to go into it. So, sure. I, so I just went to Yosemite and like, I just started <laughs> charging. Awesome. I come back and then there was a guy, um, Peter Cooper. He ran the industrial rope access company where I, where I was mm. working. And he was like, if you want to have a career, there's this, if you do rope access, like, which is based in, on what you're doing. Right. They can pay you over a hundred thousand dollars a year Shit. to go work offshore, and I was like, no fucking way! You're gonna pay me a hundred thousand dollars a year to do what I'm doing now, but on an oil rig? And he's like, no, seriously, <laughs> like with like week long courses, not even a big. You don't have to go and be a proper engineer. You can go to these week long components of engineering, sure, and then you can go things. So, at eighteen, I went and smashed out all the courses, and then like I've always been a person that's like get all the accreditation 
work it out later. Right. Right. Like be qualified and learn. Yeah. So I did that. And then all of a sudden at like 23 or four, I'm offshore with like, you know, $150,000 wage. Fucking can't be that. And then I could start to like, I could actually fund, I was almost self-sponsoring sure. my own professional climbing sure. after that. You know, it's kind of funny because I was going to ask what the family thought of the, the whole extreme sports thing, but I think you already answered the question just with uh, problems in school and it leading the direction that it did. They probably ended up pretty damn happy. I'm At thinking. the start, it was pretty hectic, to be honest. Mm. Um, the first trip, there was no internet, so I went for three months, oh. and like this is where... You know, we're talking the start of the internet, early sure. 2000s. Yeah. So to contact mum and dad when I was away, the first trip, there was a two computers in the library in Yosemite Village. Mm. And you had to book every Thursday if you didn't book. So like six weeks went by my mum just assumed I was dead. <laughs> and she's like suddenly at 12 weeks and like young man, right. drunk, not very articulate. Right. I just went, everything's going great. Love you. You know, like one <laughs> shitty email. She, she wanted weeks. you dead. <laughs> No, she was just like, okay, like, I suppose this is good. Yeah. <laughs> but um, the first trip, I had like maybe like two emails in, in 12 weeks. And, oh, yeah. And I left the country with like $1,400 or something, you know, like, so yeah. she's like, oh, he's, well, he, okay, let's just hope. Yeah, he's dead or in jail. Yeah, and I come back, um, obviously super skinny. I've just been like doing heaps of cardio and like not, right. not really eating. <laughs> So I come back at like 65 kilos or something. It's and funny she, how that works, huh? Yeah, and then I survived that and she come back and I think she was expecting me to go to university after because originally I wanted to go to uni and she told me I wasn't allowed to go. Wow. I said, I'm going to go be a surveyor. I want to be a <coughs> geological surveyor. And she said, I paid a lot of money to go to private school and then you kind of drank and smoked and did all the wrong <laughs> things and got suspended. Every camp you went on, you did something like a, a girl or... <laughs> smoke some weed or something and you just got in trouble. Right. So she's like, I'm not going to pay for uni because at uni they don't stop you from doing that. Right. So I'm what I'm going to do, like rack up a $60,000 uni bill for my son to get a degree and he's probably Party. not going to get it because right. he's just going to rage. And then I'll come back from the first trip and she's like, what are you doing now? I'm like, well, I've just got to save money to go back to Yosemite. <laughs> you know, I'm a rock climber now. Like This is my, my life. Oops. And um, so for the first few years she was like, okay, well, maybe we've not nailed this. Right. And then sort of continued. And then like, wasn't much longer that the industrial thing happened. Right. And it probably took till I was mid twenties for them to realize that like, wow, he's actually going to turn this into something. He'd figured it, found a path. And now they're like, okay, he's legit at what he does. Yeah. And now they're super stoked. But like, it took some progression. And took that for them to grow at the same time. I definitely sure, yeah, sure. That's kind of awesome, though. I mean, it's I find uh, that the people that have the the hardest time finding that path are usually the ones that uh, grip onto it so solidly and and have everybody behind them. I mean, I had a couple of friends when I was growing up that uh, always wondered what I was up to, but never worried about me. And I asked them, and they're like, "Dude." clearly you're going to be okay with whatever shit you you know figure out and try and do you're going to be fine it might not be what we'd pick but we're never worried about you you know parents are a little bit different yeah my parents are very very um like they they grew up in a small town my my dad grew up on a farm mm. my mom grew up to an immigrant german father and like they they they've always been people that went after it and we traveled young so i kind of had like some inkling on travel mm. but like real free life that most of our friends experience. Sure. They, they're only really getting there now, I guess. And I think at the start they were like, oh, 
Yeah, well, but. it's it's so off the beaten path and so uh, out of the norm that uh, people uh, just assume that it's you're fucking up. Uh, clearly, you're not doing what everybody else is doing, so something's really wrong. And even if you're actually succeeding in it, it's still something's wrong. Uh, yeah. You know, someone I had somebody the other day call me a wild turkey, which I thought was the funniest fucking thing ever. I'm like, like wild I'm a, I'm turkey. A, I'm a glass of bourbon. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I'm like, and she she uh, went on to just say, no, you're just you were always going to do whatever the fuck you wanted to do, regardless of you know what the social norms were. And and at first I was kind of a little bit insulted by that, and then yeah. I went, oh no, that's right. No, yeah. my parents are amazing, and even though they didn't understand it, they believed enough for the start, and now they're fully supportive. Like, awesome. Like, yeah. Awesome. They, they, they had enough trust that it's it's going to be all right, but um, for sure, I definitely gave them some worries. Yeah, for the, you Probably mid-20s, I think, is when they started being like, okay, he's got this. Like, whatever path he's chosen, we don't understand it, but he, I think he's onto it. I think it was mid-30s before mine gave yeah, me that. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, it's. I, I, I think uh, I finally figured out that uh, at least my mom for sure had faith in the, um, that I was, you know, at least going to be able to take care of myself when she showed up to take pictures of me. They just couldn't believe that I kept making money. Yeah, they were it, like, exactly. fucking hell, how, like... I remember sitting there and like I paid tax one year and my mum was like, Oh, what'd you turn over this year? And she was like this is like the first year I might have earned more money than her. My mum's <laughs> a very good professional woman right. and like she's always made good money and I was like, This is my income yeah. she's like, Shit, this is working and I remember seeing her face when we went to the accountant just being like, Yeah, okay. Yep. All yep. right, this is a real thing. I think that kinda of was the same thing uh, with my family when I bought a house in Vegas being a fucking stripper and they're like, Well, wait a second. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You, like, you bought a house? You're showing your wang to people? And yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> you, you bought a house on this? Yeah. You, wait, wait, you're just taking your pants off for a living? For a living? That's what yeah, you do for yeah, money? Yeah. And, and you're actually not just feeding yourself, but you bought a house. Yeah, yeah. And like, because I'm like, I'm a, I like, I like to express myself a lot. So I am kind of you a, little, know. a little bit loose. <laughs> and so like, I don't think, it took a little while that they were like, ah, oh, eventually it's just going to erupt whatever he's doing. But right. Just constantly like opening my mind and sure and getting to where I need to be. But you seem to be one of the ones that's found that balance, though. I mean, um, because I, I've met you in multiple situations and some wild and crazy and some very stable. And I mean, sitting here having the conversation now, you're an extremely articulate guy. You clearly know what's going on, but you're willing to. You have the will to be weird. Yeah, and like I, I'll, I'm like actually a very very rational person, and I choose like. The weirdness. I, I hmm. really like awkward situations, and like I like I like to be uncomfortable. Really? Because, Why? Because I think you grow in in discomfort. Sure. And um, well, but all right. So define uncomfortable. Like, are we talking socially uncomfortable, physically uncomfortable, or all the above? Oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, um, yeah. Like, I think you really learn about people, and this is what base jumping is great, right? Like, you're always putting people in out of their comfort zone. Sure. Yeah. So, like, I think probably like a hundred years ago, people like us had to go to war and shit to go through. <laughs> you know, for real, right? Yeah, like, I agree. And now, like, when we are like animals, yeah, we're predators, we're hunters, gatherers, we're all of these things, yeah. and like now we don't have those things, so we have to like stimulate ourselves to have the same. Oh yeah emotions oh, and yeah. things like that. So I've always wanted to drive forward and I'm super efficient. Mm. So like I really like as soon as I decide on something, I need to do A, B, C and D. Mm. And I like I definitely have some sort of focus thing 
sure. me. I don't know if it's like the attention sort of. Well, ADD tends to have people hyper focused too, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, I'm I'm not actually diagnosed or anything. Like I went through my childhood. I had a great childhood. Nothing abnormal. I just think like I'm a little bit on. I think we all the, are to some degree. Tiny bit of that spectrum sure. or whatever. Yeah. And so when I like focus on something, I go like uber into it. <laughs> hyper focused. Yeah. And for sure, that's what. Um, Marcus saw me when he wanted to bring me here. Sure. And, like he's for sure in that same. Well, come on, you 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 spot the same tribe for yeah, right. sure. Yeah. Um, you definitely. Yeah, let me top you up there. You you definitely spot people with uh, similar tendencies, and I think that's one of the reasons that uh, skydivers have so much in fucking common. Because whether you're a copper, a criminal, a lawyer, or a bag boy, yeah. um, because we've been drawn to this sport, we've been drawn to it, whether it's base jumping or skydiving for very specific reasons. I yeah. Think. Yeah. So yeah, just that's sort of how it all began, and then as you get get older and more driven, you want to like obviously do something real as well. <laughs> right. A like work life balance is a real thing. Yeah. And it's expensive to do the things that I do. So like. Oh shit. Um, I know I've always been pretty good at sort of working out how to to make the money to fund that because. So now you you did oil and how the fuck did you, so you got into oil and gas basically because you decided to go climb up rocks and and it it lent itself to this niche for work exactly very niche so rope access is uh tw- they call it twin rope access um industrial climbing is a thing that they use to get to places when you can't do scaffolding or sure. approach it with cranes and boxes and different stuff. And on oil rigs, is obviously in the middle of the ocean, so it's awkward to get there. Right. And it's not about the access. So if you can be a really good climber, it doesn't really matter. You, it's what you can do at the end of the rope that's sure. important. So then I was very, very cluey early on. I went to Scotland, and that's where, in the North Sea, where oil and gas was created 40 sure. years ago. And that stuff's been going on for a long time. So I was really lucky that I met a Scottish guy, Don Gibbons, in Melbourne, doing a um a shutdown they call it a shutdown when they turn off the whole mm. um um machine sure and then you do a full inspection like it's kind of like servicing your car okay so i did one of them in like 2008 and they were paying like six seven hundred dollars a day sure. to, go, to go to the thing and i was like 23 years old i'm like suddenly you pay me like four grand a week to like right to like do this thing and i, I just went to the team leader at the end who was scottish i said how do i continue to earn this money sure, sure. and he went fly to scotland tomorrow and I'll have a job for you and like I'm a person that believes people so I like a month later booked ticket and was like fuck yeah I'm going and he was like sweet he found me a a friend to stay at the house Scott Burnett sure I stayed at this guy's house I got there and then the day I got there the GFC hit (laughs) no shit so I rocked up and so the first three months like my parents like wow he's committing to this this is the start of them believing. Right, so I get there right. and like all of a sudden it turns to shit. So maybe he hasn't nailed this. <laughs> so I'm there and I've flown over there with no money. Right. And I've started to like look into work and it's just not happening. Because GFC hit. No, all the budgets have been pulled off the oil rigs. They're like, right. okay, we'll do less inspection maintenance this year. Right, right. And next year when the budget's back. <laughs> so I get there, there's nothing happening. And at that point I was a level two rope access worker. Right. So I'm like, shit. You know, so... I was like, fuck, I need to make this work. And I had like two and a half thousand hours. It's kind of like the, you log hours, the same you log sure, jumps. Sure, So I had like two and a half thousand hours and you need 2,000 hours to become a level three. Okay. If you're a level three, you're like, you're a bit of a unicorn. You can, like, gotcha. They, they Write like, your own ticket. Yeah, you're a CI at the drop zone or something. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. So I get there and they're only hiring the big dogs. 
And I'm like, fuck, I need a level three. So I'm like, call mom. I'm like, I need 700 pounds to, to go do this level three course. And then I'll definitely get work. But now she's thinking I'm overcommitting. Sure. She's like, oh, you want more money? And I'm like, look, trust me. Right. So I go into there. I walk in and I've paid. I walk in and the thing. He looks at my logbook and he's like, huh. okay, so you got two and a half thousand hours, but 1800 is level one and you actually need a thousand out of two and a half thousand. You need a thousand as level two to progress. But <sighs> and I was like, ah. And uh, I was like, like, so I can't do this. He's like, no. So I walked out the office. I'm like, look. I can't do this course. Is there any other courses I can do? Because I've already, I got a credit there, you know? Right. And I'm like, sure, you can do this magnetic particle. And we do it in aviation. You know what that is, right? Yeah, yeah. Doing the scans and the dye penetrant on sure. the aviation parts. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, we've got this this mag particle course. Do you want to do that? I'm like, fuck it. I've got the money. Like, <laughs> mum's going to be pissed. Right. But at least it's another skill. Sure. I'll level up. Right. So I level up. I come out. And then still not enough. GFC is just smashing. So I like, I, f- I, I go in my logbook. Sorry, Irata. I, I fudged the logbook and I changed the hours back. I had enough experience, but the dates were wrong. You know, right. it's like it's bullshit. Sure. So, like, I fudge the books. I go back in. I get the level three. Boom. 10,000 pounds in a month. Jesus. And I'm like, and so, you know, obviously now four months have gone by. Mum and dad are expecting me to fly home with my tail between my legs right. in, in a minute. And I'm like, just cashed in, Mum. We're fucking sending. She's like, no way. You, you know pay what I mean? her back. <laughs> yeah, you know, and she's like, holy shit, like... And that's always been me. If I have a goal, it's not done till it's done. You know? Yeah. I'm yeah. after it. So I got after it. I started a company in the UK called uh, AFOG, the Anti-Ferret Organization. <laughs> Anti-Ferret? I got bitten by a ferret that year and they were like, name your business. And I was like, I fucking hate ferrets. <laughs> I couldn't think. I was like, like what am I going to do? Like grainy inspection or whatever. Right. I was like, AFOG. Anti-ferret organization. Oh, well, Just like, I know, I was like, why not? at a party, got bitten by a ferret. Like, <laughs> fucking, like, making up shit as I go along. So I start this company and then, boom, I'm, I probably make like 80,000 pounds in a year or something. And then I'm just flying back and forth. Sure. Doing, doing my jumping. Micah meets me and he's like, what the fuck are you doing on oil rigs? You should be training. Right, right, Like, why aren't you just skydiving full time? I'm like, because I don't skydive. I'm a base jumper. That shit's gay. <laughs> and he's like, you need to change your mindset. Yeah. Who needs and, planes, right? Yeah, right. And like, because that was the original base jumper mentality. Yeah, you know? for yeah. sure. It was either like, there was the guys like J-Mo that came across, but the, the rest of us didn't oh, have Oh, yeah. It was very that. separated. Very, yeah, very yeah, much yeah, so. Yeah. so uh, and as speaking as a, as a skydiver, when all that was going on, uh, you guys were the lunatic fringe. It was the, what, what do you mean? They don't, they, they don't fucking skydive? And, you know, and I think what started to change my mind was Nick Martinez and Evo and all of them. Yeah. Because I watched them do this and, and then figured out who they were and saw the dedication. The knowledge of the mountains is equally important, you know. Damn right. Yeah. And, like, that's the, the thing where I've been trying to bridge with you guys from here is like with the Matt and Nick, they don't have a lot of mountain experience. So mm. the first seasons, like showing them how to hike out and do weird stuff, like that's where the connection came. Sure, like there's, sure. everyone had something to bring to the table kind of thing. So now you've had, uh, so how many base jumps do you have now? I'm not a very good logger, but about 900. It's a lot of fucking base jumps. It is. And like back in the day, you know, 100 was a lot. Yeah. Oh and, shit, back in the day, one was a lot. But um, like when me and Micah hooked up, the first season... Like he was there with Shaney and like Craig Gerard and mm. and the whole wingsuit team, but Micah had like thirty base jumps, so he's like, we need to smash numbers because he's a skydiver, six eight a day, right? Yeah, like, yeah. oh yeah. yeah. So yeah. when they train for the wingsuit team, it was always six jumps. So I was like, okay, we need to start pumping numbers. That's no problem. And there's a jump called Via Ferrada in Lauterbrunnen, where it's a gondola in a five minute walk. Mm. It's one of the best jumps there. 
So we'd we stay in the same place. We'd wake up in the morning at 6 a.m. We'd have a pitcher of coffee already in the fridge. We'd wake up at 6 a.m., walk to the fridge together and just like hold a jug of coffee and like in our underwear, in the light of the thing, because we don't wake up Shaney, you know? Right. So we'd be necking this pitcher of coffee, just handing it to each other. <laughs> we'd get we'd get to the first corner at 6.30. We'd do six jumps, be back at 1 p.m. We'd sit down because we need a rest. Right. Like And to back to back there... It's like 10-minute pack jobs, so it's 30 minutes between each gondola. So you walk up, jump, land, pack in 10 minutes, get back next gondola, smash it out. In, an, in six hours, you can do six jumps. Jesus Christ. We'd smash that, go back to the the villa, hang out, smoke all day, get, get totally baked. <laughs> of and course. Because Shaney was hanging out with Craig Gerard, just right. doing fun jumps. Right. And then we'd catch them on the last two loads at like 4 p.m. So we'd do eight every day, doing like 60, 70. In sure. A, in a month, maybe a hundred sometimes. So like <sighs> there was a year there with Micah where I, I punched out a lot of numbers. I mean, so. it's, it almost sounds normal to me. It well, almost it was, sounds it was a skydiving mentality for base jumping. Yeah, very, very much so. I mean, that sounds like a, a, to- a typical training day for jumping, for all skydiving. Of, all of the base jumpers were like, what the fuck are these two mental people doing? Yeah. But I mean, we that's... were like, Micah's like, no, we hold hands, we link, and we pack fast, and we like send it. Oh, wow. And well, like, he was such a fucking unique oh, soul. He's totally anyway, savage. I mean, He's amazing. Oh, yeah, He's I like mean, a unicorn. I, it, was, it was funny. Uh, I had at one point walked up to him, and I'm like, hey, you know what? I was kind of toying around with the idea of learning how to wingsuit and blah, 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 and, and going out to the other drop zone and, and uh, training for that. And he's like, fuck that, dude. I got a suit, and, and we can we can find your rig, and I'll teach you how. And, of course, the suit was way too much for a first jump and all this. Yep. But he was convinced he could have me dialed in. And knowing him, he would have. The, the thing is, Micah had, a, like, because he could progress that fast. He yeah. expected everyone else to. Oh, yeah. Like, Micah was a very good coach for progressing fast but he didn't like to do things slow so like when i arrived here he would just throw me in the tunnel yeah. for an hour straight glory days where like sure. he was working and he just put me in there for an hour and like he's like in like three hours has me like dynamic flying head down and like then all of a sudden i try and do the fundamentals right and, and with other coaches and they're like shit you can't fly for crap yeah but like put it on full speed and like let me charge and like they're like holy shit you're flying full dynamic lines yeah so he'd skip steps because that's how he learned. Sure. And, um, that's why I progressed so fast. I think that's that. how his brain worked too. No, totally. Like it's hard to keep up with someone that's that um, fast. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and, but the funny thing was for somebody as driven as he was and as talented he as he was, he could also slow it down and had the biggest fucking heart. I knew. He just uh, adopted me, bro. He's my best yeah, friend. Yeah. I, I had uh, um, a good uh, friend to a lot of people that drops on and a really close friend of mine for a bunch of years, a guy by the name of Zach had passed away. And uh, I think Micah was one of the first people to spot me on the drop zone, either the next day or the day after, first day I had flown again, and made a beeline 100 meters away. You know, we loved him too, we loved him too, and gave me this big hug that I didn't want because I knew I was going to break down like a fucking four-year-old. But that was Micah. He just has such a big heart. He wouldn't let anybody be hurting if he could avoid it. No, his whole goal when I came here was to make me a real skydiver and... um... Like most of the things, he did everything he was said he was going to do. He's gone fucking space, all of the shit. Like it sucks <laughs> right? that he had to pass away for it to happen, but he called it. Yeah, like he's he there. Did. And like he brought me here and was like he threw me in that tunnel and like he beat the shit out of me for a long time, sure. bro. But like sure. in a very quick space, he brought me to a a place where I could at least keep up, and I, I owe him everything. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah no yeah. doubt, no doubt. Now uh, back to uh, back to your progression in base jumping, and you you had your uh, your wall strike and the the broken ulna. 
in the first season. I took some time off to, after that, and then I came back to it. Um, this is like way before Micah. This is maybe, this is 2011, I think 2012 I had the wall strike. Okay. I met Micah in 2014, and I'd, I'd gotten back to like being a, a good um, two-piece tracker. I, I learned the suit, not tracking. Yeah, yeah. So I like... For a while there, I had a lot more two-piece tracking jumps than most people because at the time I was working offshore in the UK, so I could like be there for most seasons and, sure. and pack it. So I probably had like 300 two-piece tracking jumps. And when Micah arrived, he's like, holy shit, you're like hammering that suit. And like, he's in McToom and I'm out tracking him. So right. he's like, teach me the suit. And at the time he had a, um, what the fuck, I lost the name, um, Jeff, uh, not Provisano, the other one, Jeff. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. he was making the suits, the guys. Yeah. Making, yeah, yeah, yeah. he was making those suits and he was flying a prototype and we were having these great grunt jumps together and he's like, sweet, so we need to like learn how to like track properly and then we can go, go further. Sure. So at that point, he was like, let's start wingsuiting. I was like, cool. So I went and did my first wingsuit jump with Rene Terstigan. Mm, okay. At uh, Brento. I did one wingsuit jump and then Noah... Uh, Asked Micah to join the wingsuit team after Mac Toom kind of fell apart. Right. So Micah's like, I'm a wingsuiter now. But me and him, had he had like maybe a handful of wingsuit jumps and I had one. Right. And we rocked up to the tryouts for the World Wingsuit League. Okay. Because obviously Julian and Noah were winning everything yeah, at that yeah, point. Yeah, and yeah him, for sure. And him and Greg, I think Greg had a fair few. Yeah. And Noah was like the baby in the group. Right. Um, Micah was the baby in the group, sorry. So we rocked up there and we're like, we want to participate in the World Wingsuit League. And they're like... What you guys have got like a Micah's got like maybe fifty base jumps, right? And he's obviously a sick wingsuit pilot, and like you've got like four hundred, but like you've got no business being here. <laughs> I remember them saying like, "Oh, you've got to have this many wingsuit base jumps to be right. here," and then Micah just screaming out in the pre-briefing, being like, "Oh, what are you talking about? I got like thirty-six. <laughs> and we're like, "Micah, shut the fuck up! You got to be kidding me!" So um, we ended up opening the event. And putting in like six times. So mm. they wouldn't let us actually try out, but they right. would let us test wins. Okay. So me and Micah have just like, we've just held hands for like the last 80 base jumps. And they're <laughs> like, you two can do a linked exit. We went to the pool and just did like 500 wingsuit base jumps, uh, exits into the, into pool. the pool. And then we rocked up and had like the best exits out of the whole crew. And Micah got a sick time. I was still in a phantom. So I like just plowed through the sky and like right. stuffed it. But we're in Voss and the whole squad was there and... We partied pretty hard and hung out with um, Shemi and there was a bunch of really cool crew there, like Shiny Perro, and it was just a great fucking trip. And at the end, as everyone went the, the to the airport, they were like, "Hey Ryan, you're moving. Like, hey, is this a question or no? no you it was, are. Yeah. It was a statement. And no, Noah was just like, "Yeah, you're gonna live at my house. Awesome. Yeah. So awesome. that's sort of how it sort of happened there. Now you're uh, uh, you started out season one with a uh, um, with an injury that took you out for a year. Gave you a little pause for thought as well. You're just coming off a recent injury as well. Yeah, so I had eight year gap. Um, I went back to it like so. I finished last year was shit. Like after Micah died, um, I kept yeah. jumping flat out. And Matt and Nick were doing their first really good season. Sure. And they started like we were jumping, and Russell came in before he left. They started doing their flippy do's and their crazy head down stuff. And like if like I knew they had it. But it just felt to me like it was happening again. Sure. So we, we had a little, with the three of us traveled together and I was like not enjoying it a lot, but I was going and sending a lot of big exits with them, but I wasn't having fun. I was getting down and like 
I wasn't even smiling at the end of jumps. And I had a chat with Nick and I was like, I think I'm done. I think mm. I'm finished with bass. Um, I just, but I hadn't really addressed how I felt about Micah dying. Mm. And it's only been recently that I feel like I'm getting to a point where I've let that go. So last 2018 season, I didn't have a lot of fun with them and they were having a great time and I knew I was bumming them out because sure. they were like really charging and doing a really great job. Right. But I was like hating on it a bit because it scared me. Well, yeah, you you think you're staring down the barrel of another loss. Yeah, and I was just like, shit, you know? So like, I wasn't, so I like, it wasn't really working for me and I was like, maybe this is it. Maybe like I've done my bit and it's over. And then... Started having a couple of fun jumps. We went to Turkey as a group with mm. Vitor and then it wasn't just wingsuiting. It was like all ranges of things. And like, I'm a base jumper more than a skydiver. Mm. So when it was like all the aspects of base jumping, I was in my zone. Sure. And like, I got happy again. Sure. And I was like, oh, okay, maybe I can work through this. And then I spoke to Shania a little bit and started to work through some of the emotions, like she's just a rock. She's oh yeah, and no, she's a she's badass. actually she's more evolved. She was more evolved on it than I was, and which is surprising, being his wife. Sure. So I like when she gave me a little bit of perspective on like how it really was. I was like, okay, I think. Well, I you can... you can't you can't uh, uh, not come face to face with that kind of strength and walk away going whoa, because she's that's a level of of strength and dedication to a lifestyle and and choices and decisions that I can't. I don't think I can fathom. It's one of the reasons that I'm not a base jumper. I, I still don't get it. I still don't get it. But I also know like other people that have had husbands and wives die in swooping sure. accidents and stuff. And like, sure. you got to make a choice whether or not you still want to be involved in parachute sports, right? Well, and, and there's even, and I'm sure maybe you, you, you had it in base jumping and I had it in skydiving, but at every point, a jumper, whether it's base or skydiving, comes to that point where they have to decide, is this who I am or was I a tourist? Yeah. And it's usually the fatality of a, a close friend or you were there for something really bad and you have to go, oh, fuck, this is actually who I am. You yeah. know, for the rest of them, uh, skydiving was something they used to do back then. Yeah, or base so, jumping. You know. So that sort of continued and then... This is like, so last year, so Micah was in 2017. Mm. In the 2018 summer season, I was struggling. And then I continued in and I was partying more. You could tell I was deteriorating a little bit, like the partying was becoming more and I was like not dealing with stuff. So it continued further. That was a direct result of Micah? I think it didn't, I didn't really grieve until maybe a year later. Okay. And then so like it started to come out. And I was like, not paying the respect to what I was doing very much and being very complacent and mm. just running on instinct. And then I went through the whole season and another person died, G. Will, a close friend. And I was there for that one. And Ooh. I've managed to skip it for the whole time. Like I've never been there. Like my first mentor, Alex Duncan, I left the day before. Mm. When Polly died, I left the day before. I've never mm. been there for it, mm. which is, it multiplies when you have to do with the family and all that stuff, it sure. gets really, really a lot more. When you can just pretend it didn't happen, mm. it's a lot easier to like, we're men, we just shelve it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So at the end of 2018, I started to, I've always been a very functional person that liked to party. And then I started to maybe use, abuse, not use. Sure, and then, sure. And it spiraled a little bit. I got put, started putting on a lot of weight. I wasn't eating well. I didn't have a good nutrition. I definitely wasn't taking enough water. And as the season built on, it got crazier and crazier and crazier. And then I had to deal with Gwil's family. And it was, 
hectic. And then, so I was like, I'm going to fly home and see mum and dad for Christmas. Mm. And that was September 2018, last year. Went home, chilled out for a bit. And then I was like, I'm going to go do the base boogie in the Blue Mountains in Australia. Mm. And I've always wanted to go. I've never jumped a lot in Australia. And I know that it's a very technical jumping environment. And I think I just assumed I had it. And I rocked up there and I think everyone that I was jumping with assumed I had it because of my experience. But in Europe, you don't jump stuff like that. It's out of my skill set. Those guys are really technical jumpers and like they have a special skill set that no one in Europe has. We all land in grass, beautiful grass in Europe the whole time. These guys are landing in tight landing areas, which we're all capable of doing, but it is different. Sinking in, a lot of half break stuff, which I'm just not that good at. And then... I had a couple of bad jumps, but I was like drinking a lot every night and I I just was being complacent Sure, and it wasn't even a bad crash that I had, but I just cooked this jump, dude. I just can't even explain it to this day because I, like, I feel like I can still do what I was doing, but whatever happened, um, I had a bad landing. I like came in, let the canopy surge and thought I had it, then just had this surge and forward speed and I couldn't stop the forward speed and I just landed against this boulder and it just was an undulating rock Mm. and both feet I was like okay I'm gonna PLF here sure you know so I like slammed a big flare in put my feet right out in front of me lifted my knees up put my feet into it stood it up and was like oh I've rolled my ankle really bad um yeah, shit. I was like, dude, I was like, okay, I, I just took my container off and I walked off. And I was like, guys, grab my shit. I'm, right. I'm, it's going to take a while to get back to the car for me. I'm super bummed. Walked up. It was New Year's Eve. Got to the car. They had a moon boot in the car because everyone gets broken in, in Australia. <laughs> so I put the moon boot on. New Year's Eve kicked off. Took a disco biscuit and an endone and got on with the night. Sure. Mate, I got a cooler with ice, filled it with water and ice. I put that on a skateboard and was dancing on the D floor with it. It was, ridic- it was ridiculous. So I was meant to fly back here on the 2nd of January, right. pick up all my stuff, move to Switzerland. That was the game. Right. And then my mum was like, just get a scan, you retard. You were like, you for a smart guy, you're a spastic. Mum's just like slapped me in the face, you know. And like that, I like mum. Yeah, she's like, just at least know what's happening before you leave. So I was like, cool. And... uh Got a scan and like, this is a sports doc that I've been going to since I was playing high level sports when I was 15. So I know this guy for like 20 years. You know? Right. And he's like, called me 15 minutes later and he's like, Ryan, your foot's not even really attached. Like you've got skin and juice around it, but like inside is shit, you know? Jesus Christ. So I went to the doctor and the doctor's like, he knows me real good, you know? So he's looked at me, he's got pictures of me from when I'm 15 years old. Right. When I'm ripped as fuck. All right, 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 right. <laughs> And he's like, okay, Ryan, so what are you, you're 35 now. What are your expectations to come back from this? <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm not a professional athlete, but like I still earn my money from using my body. I'm a yeah. tandem instructor. So like I still need to have, like, you know, you're going to have a hard landing. Oh, yeah. It's oh, it's going to happen. A, yeah, yeah. It's a part of it. So like, yeah, I need to be at like full tilt. And he just looked at me and was like, he made me look in a mirror <laughs> and was like, Ryan. I'm going to be really honest with you. Like, how much do you weigh right now? Put me on a scale. It's like 82.7 kilos. And he's like, oh, 
for and for your size, I mean, for those that don't I'm know, I'm currently you, 70, 69. Yeah, for your for your frame to weigh as much as I do, that's a lot. Oh, dude, like it, and it was just it was mainly fluid. It wasn't even weight. Yeah. Like I wasn't fat. It was like I'd just been drinking so much and smoking so much that it was just fluid, <laughs> fluid retention, you know. And he was like, "Okay, bro." So he he got a whiteboard out. It was really cool. He's like, "Okay, so when you land a canopy, there's this much Newton force on your foot. When you land a canopy hard, and this much weight, it just the curve goes right up. Hell yeah. And I was like, yeah, I understand science, bro. Stop being a dick. Just <laughs> being a total, like, because I'm still, like... <laughs> In denial. Yeah, and he's like, because I'd already planned on having um, Sober January because I knew it had ballooned, right. you know? And I was like, I'm going to have a... Because I'm always pretty good with my sure. drug and alcohol use. Sure. I do wind it in. Yeah. Like, I have a very good balance, even though it's probably more <laughs> to, the, to the fun part. But he was like, okay... Um, if you want to get back sooner, you need to lose some weight. Now, by looking at your skin, you've been drinking too much and you definitely are smoking a lot. And I was like, yeah, both of those things are happening. And he's like, okay, so if you lose five kilos, we can reduce months off it. Now, I'm a savage with training. So I was like, oh, five kilos. I'll lose that dancing on cocaine in a night. (laughs) I'll go there, just not drink any water and just charge. I'll do that in a moon boot. Like, fuck off. Like, I can hit five kilos. You're shit. Like, I'm in, this is all in my head. This is all in my head. So he's like, do you drink at the moment? I'm like, nah, because I had six days off. It was six, sixth of January. I've already said I'm having sober January. Go. He's like, do you smoke? I'm like, nah, mate. Like, and he's like, but I'm an alcoholic that's got a total weed problem. <laughs> so yeah, this is going to be a challenge. And like... So I was like, okay, changes need to be made. So I'm going to have sober January and then we'll see how we go. And I remember like looking in my mum and dad's eyes and there was belief, but also concern. Mm. And I was like, everyone's expecting me to fuck the dog here so hard. Sure. Which for me is just like a challenge. Mm. I was like, fuck these guys. I'm going to be amazing. So I went 75 days without any drugs or alcohol, not even painkillers. I was like, fuck these things off. I'm going for it. Nice. I lost like eight or nine kilos in the first month. Went to the doctor and he's like, oh, you're looking great. And I was like, I'm not done. You said every kilo I get a month off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a savage. So I was really cool. This guy called Ollie Desette. He's, um, everyone should look him up at Ollie Desette. He's, uh, he lost his leg in Bali last year. He's a professional surfer, mm. big wave surfer. He got hit by a cement truck on a Vespa. Fuck, in Bali. And, and lost his leg. Yeah, lost his leg. He, he's one of the most inspiring. And like he was um, best friends with my best friend, but we'd never met. Mm. We knew each other were there, but we'd never met. And all of a sudden, I get this phone call out of nowhere. Like we've maybe talking 20th of January. And he's like, I'm sending you a heart rate monitor. We're doing this fitness contest. We're going to go on this fitness contest with ultra marathon runners, triathletes. There's a couple of gold medalists, Olympians in this Jesus thing. Jesus Christ. And he's like, all I want you to do is like you put the heart rate on it and it's on max effort. It's not on like what you do or right. anything. Just like it, whatever your heart rate is, there's going to be a percentage on the heart rate. Sure. Let's just work hard and get through this. And Like I've gotten through the, the, the no leg. Right. You can get through this, bro. I got you. Never met the guy. Wow. Like proper human. That's like, pretty awesome. Yeah. So I get after it, dude. I get on thing. I'm doing the, I got a board of medicine bowl and I'm just on my cousin's floor, just pumping out like hour long core efforts. Cause I can't do a shit, dude. At this point I can barely walk to the toilet. So I'm just doing these mad core efforts. Sure. 
pumping out these points. At the end of the month, it's a month-long thing, he wins. Really? I come third. Oh, wow. But they're all training the way that they should. We are just destroying ourselves right. to keep up. Right. Like, I'm on an assault bike for like three hours a day with my moon boot, just fucking going absolute ham, bro. So, like, all of a sudden, like, I'm starting to get to the output of, like, proper professional athletes, sure. and I start to enjoy it. Mm. And then all of the Olympians are like, guys, you guys are amazing that you can try that hard, but we need to, like, shape this a little bit. Right. So... We start, yeah, and like this guy right now is surfing jaws with one leg. Jeez, he's uh, no look him up, dude. I'll show you. Fucking Chopu with one leg. No, no, we're talking Maui. Like, oh, jaws. Yeah, like, like Waimea. Like, oh, he's out there with Niccolo Porcello and like all these big wave surfers with, surfing fifty foot waves with, with one, one leg. leg. He had to get a surfing prosthetic because he kept losing his fucking leg. <laughs> he like he wiped out. He like to swim to the bottom at ten meters and try and find his fucking leg. Jesus. The guy is mad as shit. Jesus, that's awesome. He went way more savage than I did, but obviously it's more extreme because he lost his leg. So his yeah. reaction to it is twice a bit. But of course, this guy was so filled with love and and care for me that he's like, I'm going to get you through this because he's like eight months ahead of me of going through this emotional process of not being able to be himself. Right. Yeah. yeah. So for like nine months, I just got this legless dude tell, calling me a bitch, basically. <laughs> I mean, like every time I try and like back off, it's like, I've got, I still have a leg. Right. I've got nothing to argue right. about. Right. So then, like, the first three or four months, it was pretty disjointed training, and then it got really crazy, and I got down. Like, I started training for marathons and shit. I'm, like, still considering one. I was just did the first six week of a marathon sure. prep, and, like, I ran a few 15 and 20K runs. And, it's a fucking hell of a run, man. Yeah, and, like, it got – it became my thing. I'd just wake up, and I'd go to the gym for three or four hours because I'm unemployed, and when, like, I basically allocated myself an amount of money for the year to do that, and I didn't want to hang around with my friends – so that's at about March, I decided I was going to become a pilot. I needed to engage my brain while I was healing sure. as well. Yeah. So I flew to Townsville, which is 2,000 kilometers from my house. It's like North Queensland, and I decided I was going to be a helicopter pilot. Um, just because I think helicopters are cool and I had spare money and time. Like It's yeah, very yeah. rare that you have free time and money at the same time. Normally right. you have free time and you're poor, yep. or you have money and no and time. No time, yep. So I was like, fuck it. I've got both at the same time. I'd sold my house in December. I'd got a tax exemption. I was lucky that because sure. I'd be bankrupt right now. Right, like, yeah. I've Those had, dominoes fell in the right way. Yeah, like the the universe was like, you're being a dick and we're going to slow the world down. Honestly, dude. <laughs> yeah, like, like the universe, because I, I snapped my Achilles twice. Oh, I did it on New Year's Eve and seven weeks later, because I kept saying, I want to be old Ryan again. I want to be old Ryan again. Turns out old Ryan is what got me in trouble in the first time. Yeah. yeah and he's a cunt. We don't, <laughs> we don't want old Ryan. We want Ryan 2.0. Sure. So seven weeks later, I snapped it again, trying to ride a bike the day after I got my moon boot off. Oh, Jesus. I'm a fucking idiot oh, at best of times. So the second time I had to sit down and have this mad self-reflection, I was like, shit, I've fucked the dog so bad here so i was like i can't be around my friends and family because they have expectations who i am and even though they're supportive they expect me to be the same person sure. and if i want to rebuild i can't be near them yeah well let me ask you just in regard to that so uh you you spoke slightly about uh, substance alcohol and, and weed and stuff like that um with alcoholism and with weed is it a um an expectation kind of thing or is it an access kind of thing no if i'm un if i like i'm super functional even if i'm doing all of those things sure um if i get understimulated i do crazy shit sure and like doesn't mean I don't get all of the right shit done. It just means 
I don't have enough right shit to do sure. and things. So I was like, maybe I need to, just for health reasons and blood flow, because the heel has no blood flow. So sure. I, that was the first reason. They told me if you keep doing these things, the blood flow of the heel is going to be, thing. it's going to take twice as long. Like you'd have two sure. years without walking properly. Oh, Jesus. So I was like, how quick could I fix it? They're like nine months if you totally changed right now. And I sure. was like, so for you, walking away from the booze and, and the weed and stuff was relatively easy in the, the addiction side of things. No, was... he just said, do you, do you, how attached are you to walking? And I said, very fucking attached. Nice. And he, and I, that was enough for me because I'm just like... Well, but you and I know enough people that are the opposite to that that would have to struggle over, well, wait a second, I got to put the bottle down and I got to do this or that. And I think that's my spectrum coming on. If I'd make a decision, it's done. Good. Yeah. So it wasn't actually that hard for me. To be honest, the first 75 days, I went completely clean. Had my birthday, had a little bit of a play, and I, um, uh, can I say things? Yeah. Yeah, so I did I did some molly on my birthday, but I didn't drink. I had peppermint teas the whole time of the party. <laughs> just drinking, like, chicks were coming up to me like, can I get you a drink? Like, sure. I know you've, you can't walk to the bar. I'm like, yeah, I'd love a cup of tea. Sure. And I like, so then I, the things that I really feel detrimental to me are tobacco mm. and alcohol fucking hey right they're the two things that i i could if i could press a button and never have them again i would press it and it was a very easy decision for me alcohol is for me i i hate the fact that i'm a a comfortable casual drinker now my mom and dad are really cool people i can take them with my friends any day of the week nice and i saw that like the whole crew was outside so i'm like let's go outside the squad's out here we go out my mom's a very pragmatic person she's like me very planned Mm. i'm definitely more like my mom and we're sitting there and she's like, oh, so what are we doing on Wednesday? And I said, uh, well, we're actually going to go take LSD and go to the water park. <laughs> like I made, After about 30, I made a decision. I'm just not even going to lie. What's yeah, the fucking point? No, I, I, I want to come to family shows and be able to do drugs and yeah. like not drink. Like I'm, I'm better. I'll dance with my grandma and Molly. I'll, I'll be a piece of shit on alcohol. So, yeah, yeah. so I just said, mum, this is what I'm going to do. And I knew she heard but didn't listen. <laughs> so Wednesday comes around. And I'm not going to mention names, but five very prominent people here came to my my house in Albasha. Awesome. And like I made everyone a cup of coffee. It's like 10 a.m. And uh, I kind of thought, you know, like if you're going to go rack a line, you go to the bathroom. And everyone's like, I can't be bothered like fucking having everyone shuffle out to another room. I'm just right. like, I'd already told her. So I just went and poured the bag out and all the squares, tipped on the table. I'm like, everyone have a square. And my mum's like, what's that, Ryan? And I was like, it's acid. She's like, I thought you were taking LSD. I'm like, Mum, it's the same fucking thing. She's like, for 10 years, I thought you'd taken two different drugs. <laughs> so that was good news to her. Yeah, she was like, oh, okay, cool. So we get to the fucking water park, and we're all standing there in the line, and it took took longer than we expected. So in the line, I'm like, oh, shit, this is getting deep already. <laughs> so we get inside, everyone's sweating profusely, and like, it's getting a bit much. You know, I really need to get in a water slide and refresh. Right. We get there and she's like, all right, everyone put your stuff in the lockers. My mum's a leader. She she runs the show. She's a CEO. She's an amazing right, person. Right. She She's a great leader. And uh, so everyone puts their stuff in the thing. And then she comes back and she's like, so how do we know where to go and stuff? And I was like, well, mum, look, this particular person is the most fun. I think she should choose who gets to go to the first water slide. Right. So And this person's like, but first I want a group hug. <laughs> So everyone just hugs my mum and dad. All these sweaty trippers are just hugging my mum and dad. And then she's like, well, how do we choose which water slide after that? And everyone's like, I think we should share. We just go in alphabetical order. (laughs) 
So for the rest of the day, and like we get to the first water slide, and there's like the double right. seats, you know. Right. And I'm like, Mum, feeling a bit uncomfortable. Do you mind doing the water slides with me? And obviously, my mum's like, You want a water slide with me? So I want to water. Like, you're my mum. Like, I'm not going to, sh- like, you're not going to water slide with anyone else, are you? You're like, You're my mum. And she's like, You. You want to order something? I'm not sure I want to share with you. Like, you're my mum. Like, so she's getting hugs. People are sharing. She was loving um, it. Like, she's like, no, she got to the end and was like, I like trippers. <laughs> she's like, she hates drunk people. Mum doesn't drink. Yeah. She's like, fuck drunk people. My dad had two beers at lunch. She's like, Ryan, you got to drive to the restaurant because, like, your dad's been drinking. <laughs> and I'm like, fucking hell, mum. I don't think you understand this drug, but sure, I got this. Like, fucking, I'm like Tron driving through, like, Albasha trying to take us to this restaurant. So after that, my mum has actually relaxed a lot. And um, oh. I think she's actually um, thinking about going to do ayahuasca in Costa Rica now. Wow. Yeah, she's progressed a lot. She's she's had some health problems and has gotten to the CBD. Mm. And... Um, like she's seen, like after like it's taken her twenty years of watching me smoke weed and hating it, sure, to realize that it actually like now people with epilepsy and stuff are getting fixed sure. through this. So like, I actually helped my mum do her first drug deal last year. <laughs> she was just trying to buy CBD, but the right. guy was like, it's illegal in Australia, right? So it took like she had to go to a strange place and do some. And she, sure. so I'm standing there in a tie dye shirt, and she calls me one day. I'm like at her house. And she's like, I tried to do a drug deal and it didn't go right. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, Mum, like she's a real estate agent. So I was like, Well, whenever I ask real, like when I do some real estate stuff, I ask you because you're an expert. If you want to buy drugs, you should probably call me. <laughs> so I took my mum on her first drug deal. Awesome. And now, uh, yeah, not actual drugs, CBD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But now she's pretty onto that, and she's. Um, She's a she's an advocate for CBD now for sure. You know it's 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 so funny. All of us have progressed from. Yeah, well, yeah. we've been so pre-programmed, you know. And I'm older than you, and and uh, um, probably closer to your mom's generation, and and you get it beat into you, you know, your entire life. I grew up with the just say no generation, and you know all this shit in the United States. And all of a sudden, and, you realize it's actually healthy for people. Yeah, well, and 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 I realized on my own doing you know Molly and all this stuff in in, in raves that uh, quite frankly the option that I had chosen was dramatically healthier than the drinking and the beer and the this and that and all of this stuff that's taken thirty years for the general public to catch up. I know? hope in like. I mean, I don't think I'm going to have children, but in the next generation, I feel like alcohol is just going to be seen as a poison. For sure. Like the mass, the masses, obviously, it's going to continue for a while, but I would say the enlightened half of the population oh, yeah. are going to just ditch that. And like, why would you put all of that sugar and all of that fluid into your body when you could like take this tiny For sure. micro thing and have a feeling of euphoria yeah. that's going to connect you with the species. That's the thing too. You yeah. know, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's funny again, because I, I never used to be a drinker and now I'm very much a casual drinker and, and, and enjoy. And I use the word enjoy because that's the word you expect it to use. Um, I, I'm not, I enjoy good... the feeling, but the post, like if I have one beer, I won't train the next day. If mm. I stay up till 4am on Molly, I'll have a four-hour sleep and get up and crank in the gym. Oh, yeah. I'll get. I'll just go. I'll just go and stretch, and I'll get there. And all of a sudden, I've ran for ninety-five minutes. I've done an hour and a half of gym. <laughs> yeah. I'm fucking pumped as fuck. I come out. My my endorphins are massed. Oh yeah. 
Like, well, back in the day, it was uh, I had a friend that wasn't involved in the party scene at all when we were promoting raves, and and uh, he asked the sideways question. He's all, "How come all the ravers I see are in such good shape?" And my dance resp- for six or seven hours a <laughs> yeah, night, bro. Like, they're cranking. I, I drink nothing but water. I dank for, I, I, you know, I dance all night long, and at the end of the day, drugs work much better on a healthy body than they do on a fat, shitty one. So. Well, this is funny. <laughs> I like I used to say before I like spiraled with the emotional problem with with Micah and other people it was like. People are like, why are you training so hard? I'm like, because then I can do drugs harder. Sure. And then what do you mean? I'm like, if I'm fitter, I can smash it, hit the dance floor all night, and I, I haven't exceeded my cardio output that I would normally think. <laughs> right. I wake up in the morning, I smash a liter of water. I'm like, let's rage. Let's go pump some arms. Let's yeah, do back. Absolutely. Yeah, I'll train. Oh I, no, it's and again, that's I, I'm I'm uh, I hate to say it, but especially at my age now, having lived the life that I've lived at 50, I wake up after having had too many drinks the night before, and I'm just disappointed in myself. Yeah, to, and, no, to, I get I get the the anxiety. Oh yeah, dude, I actually get an anxiety after. If I drink more than six beers now, I get an anxiety the next day, which is just not healthy. When when I was partying hardcore and and promoting the rave stuff, never once that I have to say, all right, I got to take this next week off because I'm going too big. But I can't even count how many times since being a drinker for the last 15 years or so I've gone, ooh, I should probably take some time off. Yeah. That just doesn't happen with any of the other substances that I've ever used because, quite frankly... Um, they don't lend themselves, at least the ones that I did, never lent themselves to um, using way too much. The know? only thing that I don't want to ditch, like, and I, this is this is a what the big thing is like belief systems, right? So, for many many years after being in Europe, I uh, kind of believed that you couldn't smoke marijuana, like, because I, I mean, fifty fifties, right? You just smoke like half tobacco, half half weed, and I went to a Strangely enough, a Tony Robbins course. My mum works. My right. mum works for Tony Robbins. Does he? Yeah, yeah. Really? So like, I went to my first Tony Robbins course when I was like eighteen years old or some shit. He's something else. I know. He like, I don't. I don't really get into the American rah rah bar, but like, he's a very, very, very interesting person, and sure. I enjoy going to the events. My mum's right up to it, so I've grown up with a Tony Robbins trainer my whole life. Right. Probably why I'm so productive most of the time. <laughs> But um, for the most part, I kind of hate the American bullshit that's associated with it. You, know, they, you and they, I both. Yeah, right. It's a bit much. But the message is fucking amazing. Yeah. Like he, it's like anything. Like I like the message in the Bible, but it's fucked. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? You just gotta have a filter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like straight up, I have the filter. I, I I arrive at the events and I, I I know the program now, so I I will see the bits that I want. Right. And then I'll just go fuck off and do whatever I want. But um, yeah. Like the reality is, you have more energy when you relate to people like that and don't have toxins in your body. Sure. And those guys have got it totally Yeah, sent, yeah. you know. Absolutely. It's, yeah. I mean, uh, it, do what you're going to do for sure. And, you yeah, know, so I believed, this is the crazy part, I'm sorry, I lost myself to it, is like that I couldn't smoke weed without tobacco. But that's because I was a tobacco smoker that put weed in every cigarette. Right. Right, right. So this is the one thing I don't want to give up now. I actually really like to smoke. But only straight marijuana now. I've I've come to um, Azerbaijan and uh, everyone obviously there's not enough marijuana in this place to actually just smoke straight marijuana. Sure. And it's been a little bit of a challenge here. And I'm I've treated this place like a a holiday this time. But as soon as I leave here, I'm and there's I'm in a country where I can just smoke straight weed. I just want to. I like to get high. It's better than taking any infl- inflammatories. Yeah. 
and I do like it. If I could be in a country like America where you could get a vape pen sure. and I don't have to smoke tobacco, I would only smoke Shatter sure. or something like that. Sure. But like, it's just not possible where I am right now. But as soon as I get back to Europe, the, on, uh, the only drug that I will keep is straight marijuana. Sure. Well, and unfortunately for me, I'm a horrible stoner. I'm not a marijuana fan for personal it reasons. It suits different people. It just doesn't work for me. Um, yeah. You know, people use it for, for relief of pain and all this different stuff. And uh, the few times that I've smoked marijuana to try and get rid of pain, it made me focus on the pain even more. <laughs> yeah, made... yeah. No, and like I was always uh, one of those smokers. But for me now, if like, and the weird part is, I'm always previously historically a wake and baker. Mm. But if I don't smoke tobacco, I don't get the tobacco alarm, and I won't even smoke marijuana till like two p.m. Mm. Like I'd go to the gym at eight a.m., work out till twelve because I've been unemployed the whole time. Like I, when I was injured, I treated healing as my full time job. Sure, that was what I said. I'm like, I'm a amateur professional athlete. <laughs> That's what I was telling my mum. She's awesome. like, when she's like, because her friends were like, what are you doing now, Ryan? I'm like. I'm an amateur professional athlete. You're and they'll be like, their head. What? I'm like, yeah, like, well, I don't have a job, but I've got a lot of money. So I just wake up every morning, work out, and then just after lunch, I've done four hours working out. I can just choose to do things. Sure. And it wouldn't even, like, even I get home, do a protein shake, make some, like, an egg wrap or something. Right. And it wouldn't be till way after. But historically, because of the tobacco, I would have smoked. Sure, because the, the alarm bell, the yeah, alarm bell goes. It's, it, but I was just a cigarette smoker. It's bullshit. Right. Like I'd made up a lie in my own head, and this is the belief system that I actually exonerated at the Tony Robbins thing. Sure, sure. Yeah. So now moving forward, um, overcoming injury, overcoming all this stuff, having kind of pushed back into the sport that you initially fell in love with in base jumping. Yeah. Uh, after Micah. Uh, and the soul searching involved in something like that. Where do you see yourself going from now? I mean, I know you're back into flicking stuff. Yeah, so uh, I'm jumping a lot at the moment. I came back here and um, I'm kind of running out of money because I've had a really good time spending money on doing helicopter hours and shit. (laughs) It's like, it's it's hard at 35, even if you've made some money to take 15 months off. It's a long time. Yeah. But I came back here with a budget and I did 25 jumps. I started off with some free fly jumps and then went into some wingsuit jumps and then I went and did my tandem recertification. Um, after here, I'm flying to Finland to go to Lapland with my family to go take my sister's kids to Father Christmas. Nice. Pretty rad. Nice, nice. And then I'm just going to do tandems in Europe. Okay. Um, hopefully some piloting. Cool. Continue the hours going like that. My plan is next year to Australia has a, um, kind of like student loan thing going on for aviation school. So I can go back and can finish my CPL next year. Awesome. Um, I'll crack that. And ideally my goal is in the next 18 months to have a half, half flying tandem that's awesome. Kind of roll. You know how the guys are doing that? Like, You know, yeah. it's so fucking cool. And this is one of the things that uh, for somebody like me, it's a little bit of validation watching all these badasses that have been, you know, hitting towards the peak in the sport, whether it be base jumping or skydiving and all this, starting to slide uh, towards flying. Um, it's, the, it's progression, right? Like, absolutely. Yeah. And so I started hiking. Then I started using the plane, and then I want to fly the plane. It's just the progression of yeah. aviation, right? And it's a, it's amazing. Well, and watching um, you watch it, do it, Noah and Greg, and all these people that have, Noah's cranking right now, right? He's, Going fucking balls out, man. I mean, he called me when I was hurt, and he's like, "Bro, my Piper is just sitting on the ground. I've got a brand new fucking turbo caravan. Just come and take my plane." 
Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is what made me change from helicopters to fixed wing. Sure. He's like, I didn't really have an avenue to continue in helicopters. Sure, sure. Well, and especially with fixed wing, because of all the people that you know in the sport, uh, you hit a certain point and you can write your own ticket. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it, it, it it's just super, super cool to see everybody heading that direction and, and, and falling in love with it as well. Because oh, I've had so much fun. Oh, yeah, dude. It's well, and it's kind of funny because I've had a lot of people over the years kind of wondering that don't fly. Why the fuck would you give up jumping full time to go fly a plane? It looks Find so boring, and I'm better like, better than flying your body. I'm like, it shit. is so intense. You have dude, no idea. Dude, in the idea. helicopter, they're like, I can go proxy for ninety seconds on my wingsuit. Yeah. In a helicopter, I was like doing ninety six minutes. Yeah. Just like. Oh, like Star Wars through trees, dude. It's, it's insane. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Well, and, and flying, just like skydiving or base jumping, you can make of it what you will, you know? Yeah. Uh, you can definitely take it the direction that you want. And we're very privileged in this sport to be able to fly in Yeah, all way. of our friends own planes. It's insane. Oh, dude. You know, I mean, they own planes or, or because you're in the sport, you have access to so many Yeah, exactly. Cheap, and, cheap dry hours. Yeah. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, so. yeah. And, and the type of flying that we get to do is also, I mean, come on. At yeah. the end of the day... I spend my work day taking oh, my dude. friends to altitude, throwing them out of the plane and chasing them to the ground. And when we really want to play, it's like, okay, Dan, I'm going to get out my big wings. So you, <laughs> you bank 180 and I'm going to just be on top of your plane. The yeah. whole way. And like, we can do rad things. And yeah, um, yeah like, I don't want to have fat people strapped to the front of me when I'm 45 years old. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like, I can already tell my body's deteriorating. I'm going to keep it as fit as possible, but sure. do I want to like hang Asian people on the front of me for like the next yeah. 10 years? Yeah. No, there's going to be a point where I'd like to coach some days yep. and then yep. fly the plane other days. And I just want to diversify. And well, I've always been about certification. That was me too. You know, I mean, I, I, th- I thoroughly enjoyed my time as an active professional skydiver and, and hauling meat was always fantastic. But, uh, you know, I'm 50. Yeah. And I've, I've strapped enough big people. Yeah, yeah. I don't need to do it anymore. Yeah, it, you don't it need hurts, to make girls you know? on the front of your chair. No, so it's over, and I'm yeah. not trying to get laid from a tandem anymore. And it, so now for me to be able to go out and just do a fun jump now and then or do a hop and pop, but I'm still in the sport, deep, deep in the sport and flying every day and loving every bit of it. Well, this is the thing with helicopter. I got, I get, I got like, this is crazy. I like, I was like, obviously grasping at straws when I got hurt. So I was like, ah, oh. my friend came over to have a barbecue and he was like, you should become a helicopter pilot. He was one. He, he is a helicopter. And right. I was like, yeah, I totally should. Helicopters are badass. <laughs> and then I was like, all right, sweet. So I booked into it. And then at like hour 15, I started to hear about the jobs that were available to me. And I'm like, I ain't doing that. Yeah. I was straight up, I'm like, I'm not going to go muster cattle with a fucking helicopter. <laughs> I spent 10 years going offshore and hiding in a fucking oil rig. Right. I'm not going to go to a farm 2,000 kilometers from any city and hang out with fucking cowboys. I'm right. sorry. I'm not <laughs> doing it. They started offering me jobs. I'm like, fuck you. Yeah. So then I was like, holy shit, I've just like spent 20 grand on nothing. And then I was like, the guy's like, you know, you can do an integrated license. And I was like, oh. Can I? Because then, like, Noah was like, dude, just do a fucking fixed wing. Yep. And then I'll just lend you my plane. Yeah. Pay dry hire. So I was like, oh, shit, I, I don't want to waste the 17 hours I've done on a helicopter. No, hell no. So, but they're like, oh, you can convert. So I finished the private. I'd already done CPL heli theory. Right. I did. I finished the private flying, like 56 hours or something. Sure. So I can fly helicopter whatever. And then I was like, okay, I'll transfer. As soon as I've done the 56, and I did another 35 fixed wing. And then I was like, in maybe 80 hours, I have CPL sure. plane, come do some hours of you from the hangar Hell or something. Yeah. And then I was like, I can just go fly a 182 rig somewhere 
for a year or two or borrow my, uh, Noah's Piper. And, oh, yeah. Well, and, and then, time goes through the roof so quick, man. Yeah, and to be honest, like I'm, I've always been good at kind of making money. So it's yeah, like, yeah. like I've always reinvested in myself. Like, sure. Like you, you are your own business, right? Yeah, yeah. oh, absolutely. So, so if you don't like progress yourself, you don't want to like spend all your money and not reinvest in the company. Right, right, right. So you got to reinvest your own company. Sure. And I was like, I'll just go do a holiday in Washington, borrow Noah's plane, pay him, pay for the maintenance on the plane. Sure. And just pump hours, pay fuel and like. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and the fly, way all, fly all around this beautiful countryside. And, totally. And, and then you can just stay in the same environment working with your friends. Like you, yeah. you're not going to have to like leave your environment. No. It's, it's just your same friends, but yeah. you're doing a different job at the drop zone. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that was kind of the thing that was one of the reasons that it was so easy for me to transition. Because, I mean, let's face it, skydiving or base jumping is such a lifestyle that uh, to change not just jobs, but lifestyles. I don't want a real job. You don't want a real job. No, fuck no. Absolutely not. So for me to be able to just go, oh, wait a second. So I'm still at the drop zone every day. The only difference is I'm getting up front instead of in the back. And okay, yeah, done. And nowadays these guys are doing this thing where you like, you you job share, right? You go find another dude that has a pilot license and a TI. Oh, yeah. Take turns every day. You do three days on, four days, whatever. This is the way forward, dude. I I don't want to ever stop jumping. No. But like swapping every day, like Justin Swill, he's just sure. crushing right now. He's jumping like a mad cunt. Oh, yeah. He'd be like, Justin, I'll do Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays. Yep. And I'd love to like hook up with someone like him who's fired up to jump. Oh, hell yeah. And doing a swaparoo. Well, and that's what's been fun for me too is, and I've said it on many of the podcasts before, is I rediscovered what being a fun jumper is about because I never fucking knew because I started jumping as a professional, you know, tandem instructor and yeah. camera guy so fucking early on. And now I'm a jump pilot that gets to go fun jump. And yeah. So for me, fun jumping is the most amazing thing in the world. And dude, setting up to like, like I've been out the last few weeks because I'm too poor to... Um, <laughs> Yeah, I just spent like 300 euros on six jumps, All right. you son of a bitch. And I was like, right, I'm going to go down to Scott of Abu Dhabi, and I get down there, and I'm like, holy shit, this is like cowboy land. <laughs> and they're doing a great job. They're going to they're gonna get there. It's just, it's like any drop zone early on. Yeah. You know, they're, they're in the progression. Sure. But I get there, and there's the military pilots running it, and it's a little bit loose. And sure. all of a sudden, I'm not, normally, I'm a small fish in a big pond like right. you know there's always a Vitor or a Rob Jones sure. to like work out what's actually happening for me so I don't have to try right but that's like holy shit like I I need to actually take control of some like sure. LO stuff here I need to load organize a little bit because these guys are a little bit crazy <laughs> and it's it's cool when you like see the winds change and you look at the pilot and you're like <laughs> you need to hook the jump run like we need to change by like 50 degrees we're right like right now and it's right. really fun even at my my basic level of piloting to like engage with the it's pilot it's fun so, right yeah no I, I would really like to take control of a plane and be like like make the skydives better for yeah, people man. yeah it's like as a skydiver you can really improve on what the jumps will end oh, up oh yeah well you know and I've said it for a long time the best jump pilots are jumpers for 100%. sure 100% you know and it's it's um, I, I, I'll tell you right now it's fun as fuck to be at a level where I know enough about skydiving and I know enough about fly to, flying that I know on every jump run I'm doing the best that I can to give them the perfect spot to go out and fuck around and have as much fun as they want and yeah. you know you start out the day by looking at the wind and you can read it and there's a there's a certain pride and a pat on the back when you show up and you drop that first load of the day and ground's like yeah that spot's perfect on point yeah, yeah. The spot's perfect don't change it and you're like fucking all right cool this was the funniest part is i can't i come back and like the whole landing area is 
chocked out with that event stuff, you know? Right. So I'll come out. I hadn't done jump. I fun, uh, hadn't done a skydive in 15 months. And they're like, yeah, you can go. You're staff, so it's fine. So I get out and I'm just like hung out this like head up jump and it was fine. It was like, I ended up in a little, like a little bit in tears actually. I was like, like I got to the door and I was like, hadn't been back there since Micah, you know, and mm. I was like a little bit on. Vitor was in the door, I gave him a high five and I was like, got out, did a mad barrel roll and just like charged it up the whole way down, got down. And so I was like, yeah, that was fine. Second jump, I was like, cool. I put the wingsuit on, I'm trying to get current to go to Russell Cameron and do sure. some base jumping again. And I was like, hardcore Easterlies. <laughs> you know, like, so obviously I'm last out. I'm solo wingsuiter. So everyone got out. I looked out. The spot was a bit shit. Not because of any other reasons. It's just poor conditions. Sure. So I like, not current. Took a little bit while to turn around. <laughs> I start flying up jump run because I didn't want to like slam up jump run. And normally when you're a wingsuit, you can just see all six tandems sure. in a row. You just, yeah. you know, you're a 2,000 pounds. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, but I can only see four of them. It was kind of a hazy day. And I was <laughs> like, so I'm like hammering into the headwind and I'm like, ah, oh, I've got this. And I'm like, as soon as I can see the sixth one, I'll just cut through and I'll like buzz the tandem and I'll get back on the side that I need to be on to actually land on site. Right. But I just couldn't see the fifth and sixth one. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm like not that confident, feeling a bit uncurrent. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to like cross jump run to be a dick. Right. I'm not going to like just do something. Because normally if you're current, you just like, you'd aim at one and you yeah. know the other ones are ahead. Sure. So, but I'm not going to make an aggressive maneuver. So I just continue up. And then all of a sudden my beaver starts going off. I'm like, oh, fuck. I'm in, I'm in no man's land. <laughs> oh, so no. I'm like, so I'm thinking about it. I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Oh, shit. Second paper's gone off. I'm like, oh, fuck. I'm just going to have to do this. I'm landing off for sure. Flare, pitch. Pitch at like 3-5. Look at the drop zone, and I just go nowhere. I'm like, oh. I'm like, can I make it back? I'm over the construction, the new construction site, because yeah, everything's yeah. new there now. I've been gone Everything. for a year, so yeah. like, everything's, everything's different. I pitch, and I'm like, maybe I can make it back, but I'm going to have to cross the runway at like 800, maybe less, maybe like, it's going to be, this Dirty be low. De- oh, this is going to be horrible. <laughs> so I'm like, fuck it, right? Like, you know, I'm just going to have to like take this on the chin. So fuck it. Turn down wind. And I'm like, the one and only is there. I love the one and only. Like, we right. used to do in hops there, you know. Fuck right. it. It's a good out. I'm like, I'm not going to land on the construction shot. There's rebar everywhere shit. Yeah. So I just turn way down wind. I land on the palm. The boat's already there. And I'm like, oh, I'm in so much trouble. I'm like, for sure, everyone's going to think I did this on purpose. They're going to be like, Ryan's back. He's trying to cause shit and just do an in-hop. So the boat comes. Are you okay? You okay? I'm like, of course I'm fine. I'm in a fucking beach. Like, what? Like, I'm fine. So right. I get the thing. And I, as soon as I get on the boat, I hear on the radio like, fucking Ryan Greeny, like, just ground, ground that motherfucker. He's out. Like, for sure this is on purpose. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> shit. And like. All right. So she's not happy. She just assumed, because I, when I used to just be a fun jump, I used to take, if there was people traveling, I'd just take in on in hops. I was a bit of an asshole when I was a fun jumper. Mm. But um, I actually wasn't doing this on purpose. This was a legitimate alternate landing area. So I got on the boat and I'm like, oh man, I'm grounded for sure. And I was like, I didn't have the heart to tell everyone that like, I'm just shit right now. Right. I'm just uncurrent. Right. I'm just totally <laughs> fucked up. I was like, everyone's hating on me. Like, I walk in the into the packing area and I was like, 
Uh, oh, He's getting this oh, slow no. cat from people. I'm like, I wish that it was me being an asshole. Yeah. I like, I like, honestly wish that I chose that and that was me being, being funny. Uh, but like, yeah. no, I'm, this is my second skydive in 15 months, and I just ate shit. Like, you just fucked it. Yeah, up. Yeah, I just fucked up, yeah. and like, no one believed me because they assumed that I had enough fucking. Of course. Yeah, but of course, I had to walk in and manifest me like I'm really, 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 really oh, sorry. We're the victims of our own reputations. Yeah, right. We? And like, this is the funniest part is like when Greg hired me because I went to the desert as I was deciding I didn't want to be a rope access engineer anymore. Right. And like I was about to quit my job at Ski Dubai. Me and Jason Christensen both decided, let's go get our tandem ratings so we have an option. Sure. So originally, like we went and did our tandems with Junior down in the desert. I did 13 tandems. I was going pretty strong. And I rocked into Greg's office and like Greg Shelton's one of my best friends. Sure. I, I love Greg. So I walked in there. I used to go in his office all the time. I right. used to walk in there and one day I was like, so Greg, you give me a fucking job or what? And Greg's like, yeah, um, what do you mean? I'm like, yeah, you give me a job. He's like, do you have a tanning rating? I'm like, yeah, I got one on the weekend. He's like, if you can outfly me out the door, I'll give you a job. I'm like, sweet, let's go. So it's tandem 14, get in the plane with Greg. Obviously, Greg's McToom, he's six foot five. He's, right. He's an exceptional beast. Right. He's like, and I was like, well, I don't think I'm ever going to outfire you out the door. Right. But like, obviously, I just have to like not eat shit and get a drug out, right? Like, so we get to the door and I don't know if you remember, but the before it was the new one, mm. it caught on fire that time. Yeah, yeah. The whole fucking thing went oh, up. Oh, yeah. So me and Greg get to the door and the entire drop zone's on fire. So we go to the door and Greg's like, you've got a lot going on here. I hope you got this. So we pitch that door and Greg's just thrown his big gangly legs out like 90 degrees. And, sure. And I've just gone full slow fall and like managed to stop him from tipping us and got a drogue out. We pitch. But by the time we get down, even Greg didn't realize the whole landing area is just black smoke. And he's like, can you land a tandem blind? And I was like, well, I fucking hope so, Greg, because otherwise we're going to both fucking break our legs yeah. and he's like this is the best test ever <laughs> Greg's cracking up laughing because he knows he can just grab everything sure like Greg doesn't yeah. give a fuck and he's like, got it yeah yeah he's got it but he's like this is the best thing ever because like he's like oh, I love ruining Ryan's day alright so I fucking like come in and I even said to him at like a thousand feet I'm like it's my first tandem at the like what's like just for learning's sake I'm not even asking for help what's the the best setup that you guys normally do here right. friend, and he's like you want to post up over here and then you want to do your 400 check here and you know so I get it but as we turn in the 400 we're just in black smoke Jesus and, and Greg's like you got this I'm like well let's hope I do but I was like yeah I come in and like I uh, like coming through like total blackout but you can kind of see like 50 meters to your left or right, right. where the grass is. So you know sure. your level. Yeah. But like you can't see where your level is. Right. So I come in and swoop. I like do full flare and then Greg just stands up. He's six foot five. I'm five foot eight. I just end up hanging on Greg's back. <laughs> I'm just standing. I'm just, I'm in midair. Greg's like, great landing. And I'm just like, normally you do the unclip of the top yeah, fucking buckles. Yeah, but but I'm, I'm just hanging like a turtle shell on the back <laughs> of Greg's thing. And he's like, I think you got a job, bro. Awesome. Yeah, I was like, well, I mean, I didn't actually learn this. Like, I, I'm still not. Yeah, on the I'm ground. not down yet. <laughs> <laughs> my jump's not over. Thanks, though. Yeah, so I'd end up doing. Uh, yeah, that's when I quit my. Like, so I went back to work the next day, and my boss just tore shreds off me at the Skidoo Bay, 
And that was one of those moments when someone like gives you shit and you no longer have to take it. And I was right. just like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. You're cool. I'm out. And like, I was like, I'm done. So I ended up doing uh, 437 tandems at the Palm straight after that. I ended up working for the next two months. And Fucking can't beat that. That was Micah just, right? Then he said, I, you had to come to Dubai to become a proper skydiver and... I can't beat that shit, man. He did his job, man. Oh, man. His journey was... Oh, man. Now, all right, so let me ask you, moving forward, I always ask towards the end of every podcast, what advice you're going to give to people that are just getting started, whether it's base jumping or skydiving, and people that are burned out and maybe just quitting. Um, What advice do you give to those two groups of people? (sighs) No, no, this is is real for me. Yeah, man. Train hard, treat it seriously, don't get burnt out and stop doing fun jumps. You can't you can't just say this is a job. It's not. Like there's a lot of guys at the palm now, they get their two or four hundred free fun jumps every year, but some of them don't use it. And it's like Yeah. In every other jump job, if someone pays for free training, you go to it. Yeah. Keep training. Stay fit. Respect it enjoy it work should be enjoyable sure and if it's not fuck off yeah time to find something new well especially when it's something especially when it's something like this is fucking dangerous yeah what we do is dangerous if it's just a money job fuck off like i go go work in a bank yeah like if you want a bullshit job like like find a passion even if like for me there's two ways to work you either find a high-paying job that you sacrifice time for that allows you to live your passions and then you self-sponsor yourself. I did it with oil and gas. Mm. Like, if you have a job you have to work 150 days a year but it pays you $100,000 a year, sure. sponsor yourself to do... Be a professional athlete. Yeah. Be a Be a professional family person. Be a professional something. But, like, approach whatever that you care about as a professional, and use it as funding. If you want to sacrifice your time for money, use that money to be special. Mm. Now, if you love your job, take a low-ass wage hmm. and just fucking live it. Yeah. Because that's your passion. Yeah. If someone's going to pay you $40,000 a year and you're happy every day, fucking take that job every time. That's worth more than millions. Last year, when I got... um, mm. After doing these 500 tandems, I, I wanted a long summer break and... The particular management at the time weren't accepting of me having the time off. They wanted to me me to be their bitch a little bit, which is fine. Like I was a low experience jumper, mm. and they expected me to make a massive commitment, mm. and I wasn't willing to. So we separated paths. No problem with them. They're a lovely company, and they gave me everything I wanted. Sure, but we weren't willing to agree on the time ratio. Sure, I have no problem with that. But if you're gonna have a lifestyle job. Make sure that it makes you happy. You yeah. know what I mean? Oh, like, God, yes. So like, as long as you're like either sacrifice, sacrifice your time for money or take a low-paying job, it doesn't matter. Like, they're going to be equal at the same sure. time. Oh, yeah. But either way, find someone that's going to finance your dreams. Don't just sit and have a job. What? No, I don't, I don't like understand about like, like if I'm not growing, I'm unhappy. Well, I mean, uh, the majority of people were programmed to believe that uh, work sucks, 
Five days a week is horrible. You live for the weekends. And that's what a lot of people around the world, not just in the states where I'm from, but a lot of people around the world do that. And people like you and I are the weird ones because we won't accept that shit. I was an engineer for fucking 10 years and like largely it didn't make me happy. Mm. But they paid me a lot of money to be able to pay for all the shit that I did. Sure. When I went to Tandems, it was less money by a long way. Sure. But I was around happy people every day and it excited me. Of course. And if I can share that time with my friends, I'll always be happy. Yeah, man. Well, you know what I mean? I, I hate to say it, but that seems to be the biggest theme in the sport, too, is we've got into this sport because of a passion, a drive for something. And, and uh, to turn it into something minor and bullshit just is not. Yeah. Growth or happiness. Now, whether you need to get the money to pay for the growth or you're getting the growth through the employment for a small yeah. fee, it doesn't matter. But, like, choose growth. Sure. Well, and that's the thing is people just assume that uh, people like you and I don't do anything we don't like to do. That's bullshit. I've done a whole oh, no, fuckload no. of stuff. I have buried myself in a pile of shit several oh, times. God, yes, absolutely. I've done shit for years that I hated, but there was a means to an end, and there was at least a direction that I was going. I worked in factories fucking operating <laughs> forklifts when yeah. I hurt myself before, oh, yeah. like... Whatever is going to get you to the next step, Absolutely. keep growing. Absolutely. And like, that's the thing. Like, people get married and have things and they're just trying to sustain shit. Fuck sustainability. Yeah. Fuck yeah. it. Yeah. Like, no. I would prefer to be fucking homeless than be sustainable. Yeah. Fuck that. Like, just grow. Yeah. And like, you can grow in any fucking way. Just as long as you're aimed towards something. Yeah. yeah. It's that stagnant bullshit. Every single just... minute should be somewhere heading forward. Yeah. Yeah. And that's all I have to Absolutely. say. Well, shit, man. I'll tell you what. This has been fucking hilarious and I hope fantastic. That was good. Yeah, I oh. was actually nervous about doing this. The funny thing is, I'm normally lost for. Like, I'm not lost. I'm not lost not for at this, a loss for words. But I get nervous when it's on on thing. Like if I'm at a bar talking shit, I'm like, of course. You but, know, it's uh, it's funny. Um, I've had a, a few people, uh, both in the studio and online, that. Uh, um, I would have expected to be, you know, hard charging and having a blast with it that got really nervous on me. You didn't get nervous at all, um, at least not apparently so. You you clearly had lots to say and still have lots to say um, and all kinds of fantastic stories. You didn't lock up like I've seen people lock up. So, okay, dude, it's fucking great. No, no, I really appreciate it. And to be honest, like... It's cathartic because I needed to get some stuff out. Yeah, man. So you know, I appreciate it, you having me. No, no. It was, uh, believe me, as soon as I saw you, uh, uh, you and I locked eyes and I went, oh, that motherfucker needs I put to on be on the costume. For, I put on the costume for a reason. And then I rocked up at CCC before I came here and they're right. like, are oh, you in party costume? I said, no, I'm going to Dean tonight and I just want to feel it. Yep. And like, I need to be me. And sometimes I see my own personality. Yeah, believe me, it's it's uh, um, exactly what I expected. As soon, especially as soon as I saw the jacket, I'm like, oh fuck yes, I'm oh, ready. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And again, I I can't thank you enough for the time. Um, I, I definitely they'll be around too because I know that there's uh, so many stories that we haven't touched on. Yeah, I actually about. haven't started to express myself yet. Yeah, this, yeah. This, this oh, is no, about no. me. Wait till I start telling stories about people. <laughs> well, see, that's the thing is, and I've told people this as well. I've had a number of people on the podcast that are, are uh, um, very to the point and professional, and and they say what they've got to say, and they'll just a little bit but i always let them know there's gonna be around two motherfucker because i know you guys yeah, <laughs> so sorry, thank you so much Thanks for taking me, the time ryan right here love you bro yeah peace love you out and just like that it's a wrap on another episode of lunatic fringe into the void brought to you as always by the greatest magazine in the known universe blue skies magazine head to blueskiesmagazine.com to check out everything subscribe to the magazine previously published issues the swag 
everything. Send them pictures, send them articles, put pen to paper, get it done. It's Blue Skies. Uh, as for me, thefuckingpilot.net is gonna, where you're going to want to go. That's where you can get uh, all the links to the podcast as well as both the books that I've written. That's the Blue Skies Mag's Fucking Pilot book and The Accidental Stripper, both of them available in digital and print form. And I swear someday Accidental Stripper is going to be in audiobook form. Again, another episode of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time.